the football pod on OTB Sports. It's unreal. Even getting longer. Football National League is back. Good times. Look at this. The positivity train. Go back, Jimmy. The football pod is available every Tuesday exclusively on the OTB Sports app. The news run on Off the Ball with Gillette. Put your best face forward with our new and improved razors. This is News Talk. Hello there, you're welcome along to Monday evenings off the boat. We are busy this evening. We'll hear from Leona Maguire, fresh from becoming Ireland's first ever winner on the LPGA Tour over the weekend. Meanwhile, in the Six Nations, it seems Ireland picked up right where they left off in November. Jerry Thornley and Liam Toland on the way after eight. Billy Joe Patton on the weekend's football. Dublin 0 for 2 in the league, which is catching the eye amongst other things. Joseph and Doe on the African Cup of Nations, a win for Senegal. And then Dion Fanning on the joint bid, FAI included, very much so for the Euros in 2028. Also this evening, the FAI launching their strategy, 2022 to 2025. So Dion is going to be watching that and bringing you what's in it, frankly, so you don't have to watch the full hour of the presentation. He's going to do it for you. 53106 is the text number. We're at Off The Ball on Twitter. Adrian Barry is with us this evening. Hello. Evening, Joseph. And Richie McCormick. What's going on? Gents, how are you? I'm very well. So look, Adrian, we have Leona Maguire sticking it to everybody in the LPGA Tour. We have Irish rugby up to third in the world, playing a beautiful brand. We have the dubs getting whipped. I mean, you're a happy man out there. <laughs> um, yeah, no, look, geez, what a, and Leona, we should definitely spend a bit of time talking about. And it was an amazing weekend of sport. I uh, sort of realised over the weekend that I was listening to, uh, I appreciate nobody wants to hear too much about this, but I was listening to Westmeath against Leash on the radio yesterday. And I have discovered at this point in my life, there's nothing that makes me more apprehensive than listening to Westmeath matches on the radio. It's absolute torture. Um, but anyway, that's a, that's a by the by, Joe. Um, yeah, Leona. Wow. Incredible stuff, isn't it? Like, it feels, what is she, 27? Feels like she's been around for about, I mean, she's been around for 27 years. It feels like she's been in the Irish public consciousness for about 20-odd years. Um, and uh, and this was really, you know, I think, I don't know, it was in the post-match, and look, I was definitely one of those ones that started, I tuned in for the last few holes last night. Um, and I'm sure, I'm sure there was a lot of the country doing the same, but I know she was talking afterwards about, you know, you'd hope that there was young girls tuned in, and they probably weren't at that time of a weekend evening, but um, that the fallout from it and the aftermath of it and um, listen to her and her dad was on AM this morning and um, it's it's uh, it's amazing. It's a really, it's a feel-good story, isn't it? It makes, the, makes us all feel better about ourselves. Yeah, I think so. I mean, 27, an extraordinary amateur career. I mean, she did spend 131 weeks as the world number one in the amateur ranks and she got into the US collegiate system. I think there was a worry or a sense that maybe things were passing her by a touch for a while because she did seem like a prodigy. As you said, we've all been aware generally of the Maguire twins for a long time and they were destined for great things and it didn't happen immediately. And golf and female golf in particular is a sport where young players can do amazing things. You know, Michelle Wee at 16 playing in, or even 14, was it? Where she played in Hawaii in the men's tournaments, you know, and went on to do great things in the women's game. So uh, by comparison, I was certainly wondering what was the hold-up with Leona Maguire. Uh, but very steadily and astutely, she picked her moments and plotted her course and has come on the professional scene of late. The Salim Cup last year for her, where she was a rookie, you know, you're still talking about even though she's 27, she was a rookie, and she went 4-1-0, played all five matches, uh, unbeaten 
that was a real marker and now she's kicked on she's had a lot of good finishes like she came into this tournament 37th in the world on the back of good performances last year last year was her big step forward for me she'll go into the world's top 20 now Uh, what struck me about the performance is her ball striking I don't think she's going to overpower courses but she finds a lot of fairways her iron play was exemplary bar the 18th but her iron play was absolutely exemplary and she puts very well but she didn't put the lights out on Saturday which was the final round she just uh, took the course to its knees with a ball striking display which really caught the eye and you know for me and for other golfing fans kind of cool that she's holding off Lexi Thompson Lexi Thompson's a big name in golf should have won the US Open last year has a case of the pudding yips I think but that's a whole other story but this was you know there was a certain it was a bit of a glamour tie you know going up against one of the marquee names one of the more famous names in American golf holding her and the rest off so for Leon Maguire it's amazing I mean look any day you win $225,000 doesn't hurt either and uh, her caddy Dermot Byrne who was on Shane Lowry's uh, bag for a long time as well it's great for him so it's amazing for Irish golf I think you're right on the participation point uh, there is no reason I mean my god if ever there's a country that has too many golf courses probably <laughs> you know <laughs> and participation numbers are through the roof for men uh, we don't compare as well uh, in, in the female ranks so this could be a massive fill up uh, from that point of view but it's it's fantastic and uh, you know she's modest to a fault but I think, cool customer isn't she yeah I think next 10 years could be really interesting she'll have majors on her radar now going forward you know mm-hmm. yeah she was I, I interested after like there wasn't even with um, I was watching one of the other tournaments over the weekend Joe that escapes him but I'm sure you'll you'll be all over um, Pebble or Saudi Arabia because this is now a moral question uh, it was probably Saudi Arabia actually it says um, it all about you it does, it does. It says everything you need to know. Um, but there was whoever was leading, um, I'm very sketchy in details here, you'll be all over it. Whoever was leading was four or five shots clear. In the, sorry, there were about three shots clear. And he was grinning ear to ear. He couldn't help but get ahead of himself. Whereas Leona coming down those last few holes with four or five shot lead, cool as could be, wasn't getting one shot ahead of herself. You could see that she was still in the zone. Mm-hmm. She was still make this shot, get it on the green. And even at that when it was like, right, you can three-put this and still win it. She was still just absolutely deadpan and very calm afterwards. Like, there was no, like, maybe a flick of emotion in her voice, but she certainly wasn't, um, you know, for the for the magnitude of the achievement, she certainly wasn't, uh, um, you know, as emotional as you would often see players. So, I mean, hopefully that's a sign of her thinking there's a lot more to come here. Yeah, it's a great point. Often with first-time winners, they've climbed the mountain, they've climbed Everest. If I never win another tournament, I don't care, I'm just so happy. She was not mm. overcome by the whole thing. I think the Solheim, in some respects, I mean, the Solheim performance was almost more eye-grabbing, I think, for the golfing community at large. I mean, for Ireland to have its first-ever LPGA Tour winner, we're obviously a bit more excited about this. But yeah, it's um, it's great. So she's on Golf Weekly this week, the interview uh, just recorded maybe in the last kind of hour or so. Nathan Murphy and Fionn Davenport were chatting to her. The full interview will go up in Golf Weekly and we're going to play maybe 10, 15 minutes of a chat with Nathan around half past seven. So Leona Maguire on the show uh, this evening, given her reaction. And then Richie, look, this is rugby country. You know what I mean? This was just uh, devastating. Ireland third in the world. Look, I think it's pretty obvious what we're talking about here. Um, the question now is, can Ireland retain the World Cup in five years' time? Mm-hmm. And, and that's that's what I want to get your thoughts on this evening. The strength and depth is there, Joe. Uh, we've got the coach. We've got the uh, the production line that so many other sports are kind of calling out for. And we've seen the Dubs production line grinds to a halt. 
the Irish rugby production line in Leinster, let's be honest, uh, seems to be rolling on regardless. And we are going to win at least the next four of the next five World Cups. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's nailed on. I don't think I don't think we can. I mean, that's probably underselling it. When 42-year-old Johnny Sexton lifts the World Cup for the second time in five years, I think that's going to be a sweet moment. Not a bother to him. Not a bother to him. He's probably going to be kicking left footed by then. He'd be like Ronnie O'Sullivan uh, uh, going around the table. Anton Dupont, uh, to be more serious for a moment, did say Ireland are, he didn't say the big cheese, he said Ireland are a big cheese ahead of the game on Saturday. So he certainly doesn't, he's not putting Ireland up on a pedestal alone, but they're on the pedestal with the other big cheeses as well. They what are I'm, own Grand Fromage as opposed to Le Grand Fromage. Correct. Is what he's saying. Correct. Yeah, that's fair. Wow, he really, uh, Antoine really overstretched himself there, didn't he? That was This, a, uh, this game on Saturday, I mean, jeez. I, it, it, I, I don't see how it can't deliver on expectations, Richie. It's going to be amazing. Yeah, meeting fire with fire, I think, is the term that's been doing the rounds a lot. Uh, to, well, today, and I think in the wake of France yesterday. I don't know about you, I wasn't mightily impressed with France yesterday in no. places, that first half in particular. No, the conditions in Paris were hardly ideal. Uh, but they weren't, like, there was a lot of uh, sloppy kicking, and it wasn't necessarily just handling errors. A lot of sloppy kicking, a lot of sloppy handling. And they just seemed like they were playing their own expectations I think for the first 25 minutes or so and Italy very much had a footing in that game it's a pity they kind of crumbled away and it was a mistake close on to the end of the first half that really I suppose put France's noses in front never to return but you know it showed that there are opportunities for Ireland to take advantage of and we know what a Paris crowd is like if if stuff isn't going their way they can get on top of the team even if they are the best in the world at the moment pretty quickly Uh, so there's enough hope to be gleaned from yesterday's performance from a French perspective and on the Irish front they will want to build on Saturday because, it, like, they didn't. I think Eddie O'Sullivan was making the point on TV yesterday. They didn't put enough points on the board against Wales when they were they were there for them. Mm. You know that mm. Welsh side, compared to last year, and I know they've had they have injuries and this and that, but you play what's in front of you, and what was in front of Ireland on Saturday was pretty pretty thin gruel, and probably should have put more points in them than they did. And the hope is that. You know, when it does come down to the final weekend and we're away in Murrayfield, I believe, and you know, we have more, sorry, Scotland at home, that we don't, we're not trying to basically do a points chase on the final day because if that comes down to it, then that's when Irish nerve is going to come back into play. Uh, but overall, like you can't pick too many holes in what they did. You would just have hoped that they put more points in what will be poorer sides again down the track. Yeah, fair point. Uh, the other thing about Saturday, which uh, jumps out, Adrian, is that just by a combination of COVID and circumstance, Ireland have had an unprecedented run at the Aviva Stadium. So there are, we're on a run of nine successive wins, but seven of them have been at home. So now this is a real road testing mm. of this newer version of Ireland. And well, Paris is a hell of a place to test it. Yeah, and like I, w- it, you definitely urge a little bit of caution on the Irish side. I mean, I don't know what sort of a um, maturation of cheese we are, but Wales were dire, and uh, like uh, that is a huge context. I don't, I, I, I do think this Ireland team are uh, really good, clearly, and they clearly are going places, and we're clearly building strength and depth. Like I thought, Mac Hansen was a bit of a shot to nothing in some regard. Maybe he was sort of his hand forced a bit, but in some regards, a shot to nothing on Saturday and like one of the best players in the pitch. And uh, so there's across across most of our positions now, we have serious depth and that's kind of what you're looking for. Um, and that's the caveat, obviously. Um, but it was probably a good opener to have uh, in that like Wales were up to nothing and you want to ease yourself into it a little bit. Um, entirely different conversation for the weekend coming. Uh, we should have nilled Wales at the weekend. That was the one 
big regret that were that bad like we should not and and the concession of the tries it was was so desperate obviously but um, I hadn't heard Eddie but totally agree with that like the scoreboard management as they call it could have been a little bit better uh, conditions to be fair notwithstanding but um hmm. I, like I wouldn't be basing a lot of the conversation about France about what, hap- what happened last weekend No and Jay Thornley is on the way after 8 o'clock he has it in good authority that they put in a hard week's training almost akin to a good GAA team the week of a league match they did right. a, a really tough week's training in advance of the Italy game they're obviously coming back from Covid on several fronts and someone like DuPont hasn't played much rugby so I think that Italy game has to be seen in the context of getting ready for Ireland and we'll see a very different France on Saturday so that's on the way after 8 o'clock Can I ask, um, yes. ask a question Joe that I haven't heard asked in the aftermath of the game and it was really the big question that I haven't heard addressed just yet why did Michael D not come down and shake everybody's hand don't know is that a COVID thing must still be it has been that's been a COVID thing for the last while is it while. still I, yeah, thought, I thought like did Hall not say listen was that not one of the things he said afterwards we can go and, and I'm announcing hands. that Michael yeah. D can come down and shake hands with the team yeah, I was talking to like we had Brian in on Thursday, and he was saying the same thing. Brian was going around glad handing everybody. So uh, why Michael D can't do the same, I don't know. But I, maybe it's just a case of you can shake hands, but maybe not try and do it to forty six different people all at once. Mm. It's probably not the best idea. Probably is the thinking. A bit of a spray I, between each shake. Yeah. Can't really seem quite be not the going down and fist bumping everyone either. So maybe it's uh, that's the thinking. Chest bumping them, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> so the news round is brought to you by Gillette. Put your best face forward with our new and improved razors. Now uh, this is obviously headline news there on uh, the news talk headlines a few months ago Richie yeah. FAI included were part of a joint bid we are the FAI CEO Jonathan Hill says the Euro 2028 bid can show that Ireland is a big player on football's world stage they partnered with the English Welsh Scottish and Northern Irish associations to launch a bid for the Euros in 2028 and that follows a decision collective one as well to scrap a proposed bid for the 2030 World Cup Hill told FAI TV today the potential benefits of hosting the Euros to the country as a whole are huge if we do qualify, um, the, uh, the, the, the possibility of having the Irish team playing um, in Dublin um, as part of uh, that major tournament is, is hugely exciting. So from a football perspective, um, that is very much what we're looking to do. And again, part of our strategy is to, is to host um, uh, international events. From a wider perspective, we're working very closely with the government. As you know, we've been, um, we've been working hand-in-hand hand with the government over the last two years anyway. They too... Um, are very excited at the prospect of, uh, of hosting the Euros. It has, uh, obviously, wider economic and social benefits. Um, there's a whole range of, um, uh, of positive outcomes that we'll have um, in relation to inward tourism, employment, um, and the use of local volunteers, etc. So we're working with government now, with the Irish government now, to, um, to look at all of those, um, those impacts, and in particular the, uh, the economic impact. Um, but uh, for now... Uh, the government are very positive uh, to work with us in relation to the bid. I think there's a general feeling of crossing of arms around this whole situation amongst the general populace, not least because when it comes to football facilities in this country, they have really been left to wither on the vine far too often. Damien Duff even talking a couple of months ago when he got the Shelburne job was saying breaks his heart to see the job that GEA, for instance, have done around the country and he goes to football facilities and they're exactly the same as what he remembers before he went to Blackburn Rovers as a teenager and he's scratching his head. So I think all of us probably, I mean, in so much as you can say all of us anything, but all of us probably feel all and any money should be directed towards bringing up facilities for the wider populace. Now, if it's a case that hosting these one-off 
or matches or however many handful of matches in Dublin at the Aviva or at Croke Park stadiums already built it's not going to cordon off a lot of money it's not like we're talking about bringing other stadiums up to scratch uh, I don't have a, a massive problem if that's what we're talking about Adrian I guess we'll see more detail in the coming days yeah, I'd like to see some of that detail that he talks about there. I didn't get the volunteers point. I didn't understand that, but I, I'd yeah. just like to see some more of the detail around the where this money goes to. How much money is coming in? Where is it going to go? Uh, how does it benefit the football family? Like there was, uh, I was looking at some of the numbers earlier on, and in terms of the money generated by the European Championship, particularly, um, and like look. I mean, if the people who are running football at a European and world level have their way, there'll be one for everybody in the audience at some point down the track. So um, it's nearly inevitable that every country on the planet is going to be hosting games at some point if mm. it continues to the scale that it's going now. But that aside, Sweden 92 generated revenue 41 million euro, right? 92, not that long ago. By 2020, that was 2.5 billion. So that's the level of money that it, that that's been generated. Um, that was carved up 18 million each in 2020. 18 million each went to the 55 UEFA member nations, uh, and then also I was just trying to get a bit of a fix as to some of those things that Jonathan Hill was talking about there in terms of the economic benefit to us here. And this is from a society point of view. I don't know. I, I've no detail, and again, I'd like to see some of the detail. Maybe some of that comes out in this, and maybe it doesn't either, this report that they're doing at the minute, or maybe it comes out at a later date. But when we were part of that Euro 2020, when we were actually part of Euro 2020 before it all got, um, before we had to give it up, uh, we had done a study at that point to say that we were going to generate over 100 million, 106 million euro in economic activity. So that's the sort of number that makes you actually think, makes me un unfold my arms a little bit and go, well, that's good. This is actually good business. Yeah. And so I'd just like to see a little bit more of that stuff. That there, some, some of the comment from Jonathan Hill there, and like, look, I appreciate he's doing like a two or three minute bit with an in-house uh, TV station. He's not going to be going into any great detail. Uh, but I'd like to hear from him now just on a bit more detail around what actually are the benefits of it. Yeah, I'm sure that happened in due course. What's happening this evening, by the way, is the FAI are launching their strategy 2022 to 2025. Dion Fanning's keeping a close eye on that. So he's going to join us after nine and bring us any headline news. And I guess that's where things like facilities and participation rates and everything, uh, which is so important, and uh, uh, pathways as well for female and male players to come through and, and uh, uh, fulfil their potential. That's where all that stuff ultimately will be decided upon. So Dion Fanning's with us after uh, nine. Richie, you have a clip of Leon McGuire. Yeah, she says her maiden LPGA Tour victory came somewhat ahead of schedule. The cabin golfer claimed the drive-on championship on Saturday evening with a final round 67, seeing her finish three shots ahead of the aforementioned Lexi Thompson. And Maguire says the win is the culmination of hard work with her coach, Shane O'Grady. I've worked my way up the levels every time. I've It's been quite a meticulous journey. Um, I did it my way. I did it the way I wanted to do it with the, with the help of my team around me. And... Um, I feel like the way I've gone about it, I've been prepared at every level. I've sort of mastered each level. And I know people probably thought I was going to win maybe before this. Um, I was maybe getting a little impatient last year. But uh, I think the going down the stretch at Meyer last year with Nelly, that, that was a huge confidence boost for me, knowing that, yeah, she was three shots ahead. And I nearly closed the gap, but but really felt like I held my own that week. And then the 61 at Evian too. And, and obviously Solheim Cup was a, was a massive confidence booster. But... 
Solom Cup's one thing to do it in an individual event when it's just you out there um, by yourself. That's that's a different ball game. So, yeah, I mean, I feel like I've been growing all the time. Did did a lot of good work at home with Shane over the winter and um, didn't expect for it to pay off this early in the season. Um, struggled a little bit last week. Wasn't entirely comfortable. Did a FaceTime with Shane on the range on Monday afternoon. He... Um, he was actually going to pick up his, his girls and even in Quiva from school and he, he FaceTimed me from the car park sitting outside the school. So um, Shane's been there from day one. He's been a massive part of this journey and um, it's it's those little things that you just need that little feeling um, sometimes for things to click. Yeah, meticulous is a good word for how she's built her career. So now 27 LPGA Tour winner. We're going to hear from Leon Maguire in more detail in about 10 minutes time or so. Uh, so Richie, let's keep getting through some of these stories from the afternoon. We have some uh, injury news ahead of Six Nations round two. Yeah, Keith Earls and Rob Herring are going to miss Ireland's trip to France on Saturday. Earls is staying with Munster to have a hamstring injury rehabbed, while a calf injury has cost Herring a trip to Paris, and he's been replaced in the squad by Connacht's Dave Heffernan. The Ulster trio of Mike Lowry, Robert Balakoon, and Nick Timoney have rejoined the Ireland camp after helping their province to victory over Connacht on Friday night. France centre Jonathan Dante has been ruled out of Saturday's game. He has an ankle injury. He was a second-half replacement for Yoram Moafana. Dante is replaced by the uncapped Leon out-half Leo Berdu. Uh, Elsewhere, the Elsa Desmond set a personal best in her opening run of the women's singles luge at the Winter Olympics today. However, a slower second run means Desmond will go into tomorrow's third run in 34th position overall. On only the top 20 after three runs progress to the medal deciding final run. Earlier, Jack Gower finished 31st in the men's downhill skiing, while Tessar Bay did not finish in the giant slalom. That's after a fall in the second intermediate. And uh, going back to rugby, Will Connors' rotten luck with injury continues today. The flanker faced with eight to ten weeks on the sidelines after suffering a knee ligament injury in Leinster's recent defeat to Cardiff. Connors only returned from an eight-month layoff in November. Joe McCarthy will have a chest issue assessed ahead of the weekend visit of Edinburgh while Dave Kearney is back in full training for Leinster. Uh, lads, uh, delighted Joseph Indo on the show this evening. An argument he's the greatest League of Ireland player ever, says Tony. Yeah, we're looking forward to having him on. I mean, amongst other things up for discussion will be this whole business of... Mo Salah being fifth in line to take a penalty and not getting to take said penalty. Cristiano Ronaldo had a situation like this at the Euros a couple of years ago, Adrian. It just strikes me of one of these odd quirks of football, which makes no sense. It makes no sense. Yeah, like, is it just a case of overthinking it? Like, if we get that far, you want him to be there. And, like, suddenly he's the hero. And suddenly, you know... They, 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 it looks like it's a genius move I don't know in hindsight it looks a bit silly I mean let's face it yeah. um, I heard Danny yeah Mur- and it was Dan- even sorry I, I was just going to say I heard Danny Murphy today saying first or fourth first or fourth that's yeah. where you go statistically ah, right, okay. that's where you go yeah first or fourth uh, are the most important I think it's a Salah call to be honest I don't think it was uh, Carlos Quiroz that made it because Salah's made a habit before in Liverpool penalty shootouts of going fifth and I think it's happened before in an Egypt one too so I'm not entirely sure it would have been a Quiroz one I think it would have been himself that wanted the fifth mm. um, but ultimately it was uh, in vain I mean, I based d- on what I wonder well I, I think it's a psychology isn't it it's that I suspect the most pre- there's a lot of pressure on the first one and then I would think two and three are the least pressurised, not to say there's not a lot of pressure. But then once you get into a kick either mm-hmm. to stay in the shootout or to uh, win the shootout, then I would think there is extra pressure in particular to, to stay in it as opposed to, to win it. And that's where you probably want one of your better 
penalty kick takers to at least handle that pressure or to be more likely to handle the pressure but fifth just feels like you're tempting fate well it, like you're almost saying I mean look at it again <laughs> if they get to the place and he scores and they win it great and he's like oh it's uh, uber faith in my teammates to do it and I was telling them that by going fifth but and I noticed Richie was tweeting the, the um, arm around from Mane last night as well but uh, Salah did look like it was the last person in the world he wanted to speak to it was like please especially no, no. after the first penalty uh, like during was it the third minute it took them three minutes to eventually get around to it but Salah was going up to the Egyptian keeper telling him what side Mane was like to go and Mane arrived up beside Salah and started giving verbals to the keeper as well so the two of them were like there wasn't necessarily a case of great Liverpool kinship on that pitch yesterday nor should there have been um, but yeah like you can imagine in that moment it, like it was akin to like do you remember when Terry Henry sat down beside Richard Dunn on the stand mm. of France pitch you're just like get the hell away from me the last thing I want to do is talk to you right now mm. and it's probably a pretty similar situation slightly frosty private flight back to Liverpool maybe with the two boys not quite oh Salah's coming back on his own is Salah's he Salah's coming back on his own yeah well like he, he, he made it be known that he wants to play on Thursday against Leicester okay. he just wants to get back out on the pitch and, and Mane is in Dakar right now they're having an almighty hoolie there uh, at the minute so uh, yeah there'll be a, a, a delay as, as Klopp kind of Fair alluded enough. to on Friday night, Friday afternoon that there'll be uh, one or two will be coming back uh, one, one of them will be coming back later than the other okay very good Adrian Ritchie thanks Mel fellas nice one thanks lads